We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. This is episode 276, I think, with Christopher Jones. Chris, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principal and uh, coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem, Jethro. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I think this is a, is a great opportunity for us to discuss a little bit about supporting teachers. Yeah. So uh, Chris is a uh, principal in some weirdly named town in Massachusetts. No offense to my Massachusetts listeners, but uh, he's in Massachusetts and I'm all the way up here in Alaska. And so it's uh, fun to hear and talk from somebody who is uh, all the way across the country. So Chris, you want to tell us a little bit about your experience? You just came to a new school this year and talk to us about what you're learning as you transition from one school to another. Sure. I'm coming from a high school, being principal of a high school in Seekonk, where I was principal for a few years there. And that's a total population of about 600 students. And um, I am now principal of Whitman Hanson Regional High School which is a population of about 1,200 students, just under 1,200 students. So the biggest thing I'm learning is how scalable some of the things are that I like to try to do with the high school as far as trying to be creative or innovative or working with teachers. As you can imagine, the staff doubles as well. And so some of the things I'm learning is that I have some more people that I can delegate things to which gives me the opportunity to do some more of the things I want to, but also there's a whole lot more to keep track of. And when I think about doing different things for students or for teachers, I always have to think about the idea that the number's larger. And 
part of my movement to a school this size is because of that challenge. It, it really plays into my why for what I do. And just on a basic level, wanting to make the educational experience for better, better for everybody and more relevant to everybody that's involved. That's teachers, students, parents, et cetera. Just mathematically on a basic level, I'm approaching that and going after that by going to a, a larger school. Yeah, that's excellent. So one of the things that you wanted to talk about in this interview today was about engaging and empowering and supporting staff. And one of the things that fascinates me is as you move into a new position, everybody's trying to get to know each other. And it's a great opportunity to kind of set up who you're going to be and to what you're going to be intentional about. And so can we talk about that perspective as as you're in your new position and I mean, it's not really new anymore, but you know, you're still in your first year. So what does that look like as you come into a new school to, you know, scale up some of the things you've learned at a smaller school? I mean, the, the first thing I find is that because I, the way I look at in engaging teachers and supporting teachers is by first explaining who I am and moving to a new place really gives you the opportunity to sit and reflect and gave me the opportunity to sit and reflect about who I really am as a leader, who I want to be and where I want to go with school and staff and students. And so what, what occurred was by sharing of myself first and by, by making myself vulnerable and open, I just, matter of fact, today I have to laugh because I just got a, a statement from a guidance counselor today that I was talking to and she said, one of the things that I noticed about you is you're very self-disclosing. You don't brag about different things you did or anything like that, but you're, you're very free with talking about yourself. And so, for example, when I first started, the first thing I had to explain to the staff is that I'm not a student-centered principal. And now, when I say that often, Wait, I get... what? How yeah, dare you? <laughs> exactly. How dare you, you be a principal and not be student-centered? But I'm a, I'm a staff-centered principal. And I do that because my best way of ensuring students' success is by being staff-centered and making sure that the staff are supported, they're engaged in what they're doing, and they're empowered to take risks and move education forward. And so that gets that first head turn. And I mostly focused on that and explaining who I was and what I expected of them and what I expected of myself. And then I did some games about different attitudes and so forth and how one person's attitude, whether they're a leader or not, because in essence, we are all a leader in some form or fashion, one person's attitude can affect a group. I did it with a balloon exercise the very first day. And then I made certain to build staff meetings around different activities having to do with getting to know each other. And I always go first. I always open up and share some of that vulnerability about myself first to deepen that. And so I guess in short, you could say it's about building relationships. So the first thing I focused on was starting that trust and starting that relationship building so that I could help teachers and I could support teachers. Because as much as anybody needs support, I find they won't accept that support, no matter how much they need it, if they don't trust where that support's coming from. And so it really comes down to the relationship piece and the support and the um, building trust piece. Yeah, that's great. So when you disclose about yourself first, you make it safe for other people to do the same and make it comfortable for them to do that. Now, let's talk a little bit about the staff-centered principle. 
what does that mean in addition to the things that you've already talked about? Like on a day-to-day basis, what is your your primary focus? What are you focusing on doing? A lot of principals, you know, they'll say, I just love going and talking to the kids and getting to know them and, and supporting them. If you're not a student-centered principal, then you're not you're probably not doing that as much as some others would be. So what is your time spent doing during the day? I make sure that every day, obviously with some exceptions, and I wish it was perfect, but it's not. Every day I'm in classrooms. And every day I'm not only in classrooms, as many classrooms as I can get into, I'm giving feedback to teachers. And I'm, I'm stopping by just to see. And it's not an official evaluation. Of course, we have to do those too. But I just like being in the classrooms and seeing what the teachers need, what they're doing, and how we can always get a step better. You see, it's a fine line to walk being a staff-centered principal because People worry that you're not, that you're neglecting, that you're neglecting the students because they say, well, you always stick up for staff. They take it to that basic level of who's right or wrong because they're not seeing the whole picture of, I want staff to be engaged in coming into the building. I don't need cartwheels on Sunday night because tomorrow's Monday morning, but I do want them happy to come in to their job and do what they do best. And like I said, I do that by my typical day. I start every day out in the front of the building. Often we're playing music. We're starting to play it more and more. I'm scared almost that soon we're going to be up to playing it every single day. I greet all the students that way. I greet some of the staff that come in. And then I really try to get out into the classrooms as soon as possible. And I, I give immediate feedback through Voxer as I leave the classroom so I can just send it off to them. But often I like to talk to teachers face to face. For example, I just finished my mid-year meetings with them where I invited the teachers to evaluate me. And so I set up 15-minute meetings with the teachers and asked them three simple questions. I asked them, what am I currently doing that's working? In other words, what do you want me to keep doing? I asked them, what am I currently doing that I need to stop doing? And then I asked them, what's one thing I can do to make your life better or easier? So it's about building that relationship and being in tune with, with what the teachers may need in building a community. So what kind of responses are you getting from those three questions? You know, it's, it's interesting that you said that I got some great responses from them. One of the, the first one that everybody said was visibility. They love the idea that I am in the hallways. And, you know, for all those individuals that are, are more student-centered, they say it's, it's amazing that the students are in the class talking about you and they know who you are just because I'm in the classrooms every day. So as I explained to the teachers, you know, you're, you're teaching, you've got prep, you've got planning, you've got correcting. And so maybe on your off period, you can get next door and see a team teacher or see a colleague, or maybe if everything lines up right, you might be able to get across the building to somebody. I've got the best seat in the house because I can go into all the classrooms. And so that was the the most positive response I got was the visibility and the constant presence in the classroom. The second one had to do with a positive attitude that I'm always looking to help that I'm, you know, I say good morning. I'm always trying to look on the bright side of things. You know, another one was the feedback that I got. They love getting the boxer feedback. The things for stopping doing it was funny because I had some say that they couldn't think of anything. And the interestingly enough, and so when I continue to do this, I'll change the questions. The second question really kind of blended into the third question about what could be done for them to make their life easier. And that, that was more around nuts and bolts things that are much larger issues to tackle. Those are things around school schedule, 
budget. You know, we could use some more Chromebooks. I can use this supply. I can use that supply. And in some instances, that's really good information because in some instances, it was as easy as finding an extra $100 here or there to buy something for their classroom or to get them something for the classroom. I was just in a meeting with a teacher where she's in a program that's behavioral and a transition from being outplaced back into school for medical reasons or, or for um, mental health reasons. And she mentioned that she could use a mirror in her classroom. Well, I, I just jotted down a note because if I can put a mirror in her classroom where she has a better view, then, then that works. So little feedback like that I got. Yeah. And, and that is something really little, a mirror, like that is not a lot of money or effort to do that. But, you know, when people see that you do the little things, they're willing to trust that you're going to do the big things. Right. Right. And, you know, that's why, that's why the relationship part and the being visible part is so important because I would have never known or even guessed or even thought in my wildest imagination that she could use a mirror in her classroom. But because that came up, and, um, you know, it was interesting. She just kind of threw it out there. And I said, so are you saying you want a mirror in your classroom? And she said, yes. So guess who's going to get a mirror in her classroom? And it takes me a 10-minute phone call to maintenance, you know? <laughs> you know, so it really works out that way. See, I see the teacher-centered piece as being more of a circle. You start by supporting the teachers and what they need because it is a new relationship when you come in, in a new place. And then you move to engaging them. See, once you support teachers, they're much more willing to get engaged in the work at hand and the idea of continuously improving their practice, not because they're not good at what they do, but because we can all get a little better. And if we're as good as we are now, think about how much better we could be with a little improvement. And then the whole idea of empowerment and giving them leadership roles, letting them make decisions, me stepping back. And the important part of that is closing the loop because once you empower somebody, they're going to fail. We all fall down. But the, the tricky part is I have to be there and understand that and accept that as the leader and helping them become leaders. If I don't support them again, once they fail, once they've been empowered, they're going to fall back. And now we've lost all that we've worked on. So I have to take the idea and say, that's my fault and help support them again. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love that idea. I'm going back to this idea again of, you know, you saying that you're not a student centered principal, not to like keep harping on that, but there's real power in recognizing your strengths and your desires and your abilities. And so often in education, especially with principals, we feel like we have to be everything to everyone all the time. And a lot of the times our jobs require us to do that, right? And so it's really important for each person listening to say, what is it that I'm really good at? What is it that I'm really passionate about that I can bring to the table to make my school better because I'm there. And so, you know, for me in my school, I don't think that I'm a student-centered principal or a teacher-centered principal. My dad would say I'm a Jethro-centered principal. <laughs> just kidding. A little bit. Just a little bit. Um, but I think that my dad, not, not my dad, I'll stop talking about him. I think that my teachers and my students would see that I am a systems and opportunity focused principal that if I can manipulate the system to empower and engage students and teachers both and bring out their best abilities, then I'm going to do that. And that's going to be the best thing for them. And, you know, that's, it's tough when you don't, you're not confident enough to say what you're really 
there for. You know, I'm there to design something amazing that allows anybody to be more successful. And that's really what my purpose is, is to take away the restrictions that keep them from being successful. And I believe if I can do that, then they're going to be much more successful if I'm removing barriers that's that are preventing them from doing what they know they need to do already. Boy, you know, isn't that the truth? The idea that if you can remove barriers to people be, from being successful, that that's key because oftentimes we're our own barriers and we don't even realize it. You know, a, a huge part of leadership that I've that I've noticed in my own life and that I firmly believe is that, uh, first of all, a good leader is a servant leader. And the idea, and that's a phrase that a lot of people use differently as well, but the idea that a good leader becomes a better leader by making other leaders better. And they do that by clearing the road, like you talked about. I think about the different leadership positions that I have and the skills I bring to bear. And, and those wouldn't have been possible were it not for leaders I've been underneath. So I really have a strong desire to clear the road, like you said, and make it possible for people to become leaders. You know, that coupled with my belief that experience is so important and that we have to fail to understand how to get better, you know, really, really keeps me thinking about a lot of things. And sometimes, sometimes it's scary for people, but that's, that's what keeps me going to the well, giving things to people to say, I don't need to do that. Give it a try. And I think you can do that because once somebody does that, I mean, it's the whole idea. We don't know how good we can be until we get there. Right. And so that's what I try to focus on with, with teachers and other individuals. I just want to make sure they have as much opportunity to grow as large as they can grow. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your plan for taking your teachers to the next level because you're doing a lot of groundwork right now, which you have to do in the first year. They have to get to know you. They have to trust you. They have to believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. What is your vision for the future of actually empowering them so that they they can go do things that they never thought were possible? So that is, well, that's a heck of a question to lay on. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Did I hear a mic drop somewhere in the background? That's um, right. <laughs> but I, I mean, I have a vision of where I'd like this high school to be. Um, we've got a lot of really good things going on at this high school, but I, I have a vision of every student leaving this high school with something in their back pocket, so to speak, for the next level, to prepare them for the next level. Because, you know, whether it's, whether it's a college course or credits because they, they want to move on to that position and not necessarily from an AP exam they have to take, but I'm talking about maybe partnering with colleges and doing real college courses and getting credit for it. Or if it's a credential program, if it has something to do with something in a different type of field, whether it's union work or anything like that, where they have different credentials or certifications. And if they want to go to a trade that they have what they need and they're already on a head start. I also, part of that vision is a modern high school, a high school that maybe isn't beholden to a simple schedule where we can offer online courses as part of regular courses during the day. And maybe those become graduation requirements. So we just started with a couple things here. We're doing winter school, which is taking the summer school model and putting it into the winter right after semester one. And it's for those students that have failed semester one. They can take this by taking the key components of the course from semester one 
passing those with a passing grade, and that raises their grade in semester one to a passing grade for the semester. Because it's not about when you reach the finish line, it's about whether you reach the finish line or not. And if we're talking about mastery, then we they need to get more time if they need more time. So that's one thing. Um, oh, hold on just a sec. Let me, let's sure. talk about that for just a minute because you, <laughs> sure. you just like, you're the one who now dropped the mic and what you're talking about is not doing credit recovery, but doing, wait a minute, you weren't at your best. Here's another chance to show that you know what you need to know so that you raise your failing grade to a passing grade. That's really powerful because most of the time we think that time has passed and now you don't get to learn anymore. You have to retake that whole course. And what you're saying, what it sounds like to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is you just need to do a little bit more focused and intense, make sure you understand the key components, and then you get that passing grade, which may be an A, maybe a D, but you get enough that it's not an F anymore. Is that a fair summary? That is a fair summary. That's that's a more than fair summary. And actually, I'm presenting on this again in a few weeks at a, at a state conference. What happens is, is the teachers, and now this is the empowerment part. Now, I could have gone through, we use a computer-based program. I could have gone through and said, you know what, these are the things I think are important and selected those and have the students do those. No, no, no. This is on the teacher. So I go to the teacher of Algebra 1 because let's face it, if you fail the first half of Algebra 1, what are your chances of passing the second half with a good enough grade to pass the whole year? And I don't even want to be a student in my own class if there's no chance of me passing by January. So what happens is this, this program offers, you know, hope that they can pass. It keeps the integrity of the grades and it gives them the skills they need to move forward successfully. So the teachers select the most important units that those students need that would show they've mastered the content from first semester. Those get plugged in to the computer program. Now the students come after school three hours a week and they have to do work at home. I'm not going to lie for six weeks and they go through those units. If they pass those units, once they finish all the units with a passing grade, their grade from first semester now moves to a passing grade. And where I've done this before, and this is that scale part I'm talking about where, you know, a lot of innovative things and creative things happen at smaller schools. And I want to be able to scale them to a larger school to affect more people. What happens is uh, where I've done this before is 90 to 92% of the students that finished the course, winter school, passed for the year. It would have killed summer school if we didn't want to keep summer school for other reasons. So I'm envisioning instead of putting a kid in summer school, right? I mean, you go to summer school for six weeks, you maybe get the material you need, you maybe don't, and then you get your passing grade and you move on. So really, have you solved the problem, put a bandaid on it, or exacerbated it? And now you've got a kid that doesn't want to be in school really anyways because they're disengaged. And you tell them they got to go to school during the summer, not get a break. And now they get to go to school all year round. So summer school tends to be more punitive. I envision a summer program where you can do enrichment. Maybe you can get some mindfulness art. Maybe you can get some different things that the students are interested in and, and go from there. So that's that's winter school. That's that's one of the things that we're we're moving towards while we're doing it. Yeah, I, I love that idea. And I think that is so powerful. And that really gets to the ideas that I think can really change education because, you know, part of my so I, I've got this little rant that I go on that I won't go all into right now. But, you know, when it comes to 
like after school tutoring and after school programs and things that are for like remediation. Kids don't like going to school all day and being told they're dumb and then come to school after school and be told they're dumb even more. Same thing with summer school. They don't want to go to school the whole year and then come to summer school and be told they're dumb again. And nobody's like really saying you're dumb, but they feel dumb because their needs aren't being met appropriately. And so what I love about your approach is it's like, hey, Johnny, hey, I get that you did not pass algebra. Passing algebra is important in our school. And here's what we're going to do to ensure that you pass it for right now. And if you don't pass it second semester, then yeah, you're going to take summer school, but we believe that you can. You probably just need a little bit more time and a little more focus on what you should be working on. Like that is a totally different conversation instead of, boy, you are failing all your classes. So you're going to stay after school and continue failing your classes. Like totally different approach that really gives hope to that student. And then what I think is really powerful It engages the teachers in saying, gosh, what do my kids really need to know? Of all the things they could know, what is actually important? And hopefully, I think my sinister plan in that would be that they would say, gosh, if they only really need to know these things, I'm going to really focus on making sure everybody knows that. And the rest of the semester after everybody knows that, we're going to do the fun stuff that I still want to teach them that is still important, but not necessary for them to get that passing grade. Right. We're going we're gonna to get away from the game of grades and the game of school, and we're going to get them these critical elements that they need. And then maybe we each take some of those critical elements and go deep with a project or something that's very relevant, or maybe do something that's very visible to the community where the students do something with that knowledge they have. And what I said before is we've got some, got some excellent teachers here. I, I'm really pleased with some of the stuff that they're doing and being open to this type of thing. Because sometimes, you know, you talk about these things and and people kind of get stuck in their ways or that's the way they've always done it. And it's easy that way where I had a department chair turn in a couple of these courses to me. And I looked at these courses and they were basically the whole semester. And when I originally spoke to the teachers, I said, we all like to say it's all important, but it's not all important. And so I said to the teacher, I said, you know, this looks long hour wise. Can you take a look at this again? And Two days later, the teacher said, I met with the teachers again, Chris. We looked at it again, and here are the new things. And it was pared down even a little more. So it's, it's really about, you know, that second chance for students that haven't made the full boat the first time. And it gives, it gives them what they need to move forward and really makes all of us, which, I mean, we're always learning. We have a ton to learn from students, just like they have a ton to learn from us. We're, we're always learning it lets us reflect on what we're really doing in the classroom and what's important. Boy, that, that sure is powerful. I appreciate that that story of what you're doing. I think that can really be something to change change how we look at approaching grades and mastery and all that kind of stuff in high schools. That's a great idea. We've that one, you know, there's that one and there's another one that we're doing right now. And I, I'm just giving the ones that we were instituting now because I do staff meetings different, but that's a whole other conversation. We can stay um, off of that later. But we're doing this idea that we did at my other high school before called the Summer Read Smackdown. So, you know, we're always talking about literacy and getting kids to read and how do we get them to read? So, you know, a lot of times schools pick an all school read, the kids read it or English classes pick a, a English class read. The students read it and they come back and they take a test or they, they write something. And, and if you haven't, well, you started off with a zero. Well, lucky you. 
because you didn't feel like reading a book that you really had no interest in reading anyway. So now you've suffered grade-wise, which isn't really tied to knowledge. So what we're doing is there's a summer read SmackDown. We advertise it like crazy. Students and teachers all recommend books, which I have to give kind of a shout out to my faculty. I've never met a faculty in a school that reads as much as this faculty. They just churn out books. We have a banned book club and all that. So they recommend books to a committee. And this committee then selects 16 books out of these books that they've recommended. And a recommendation comes by way of they read the book and they fill out a bookmark. And on that bookmark, they check off things and rate it a Likert scale, readability, uh, relevance, you know, appropriateness, things like that. And then the committee is going to look at those books, look at the ratings, put a bracket of 16 books together. It's our own little March Madness. It happens at the end of April. And then, so Jethro recommended a book and he's there because you have to attend the for the book you recommended if it makes the 16. And I'm there. And so our books are against each other. So you get 30 seconds to a minute. You stand up and say, well, I read the Canterbury Tales. And, you know, I think it's this, this, this. It's great because of this. We should read it because of this. And then you sit down and I stand up and I said, yeah, well, I read Codename Verity. And I think it's great because of this and this and this. I really think we should read this because of this or this. And then we have two moderators. They're going to have fun with a mic. And everybody votes on our two books. The book that gets the most votes moves forward in the bracket. And so then the bracket, just like March Madness, goes down to the single book. The book that wins is the summer read. Now, everybody's had a voice. They might not like the book or anything like that, but they've had an opportunity to be heard. Now, and they hear a bunch of stuff about different books. Now, what happens with that is the kids read the book during the summer. When they come back, we do this thing called interdisciplinary days. And that's what I've yet to talk to the staff about. So the first two days, because of a rotating schedule, so all the classes meet, the first two days they come back, the teachers teach something in their discipline tied to the book. The kids don't come back to a test on the book. They don't come back to a quiz on the book. They come back to, say we read Codename Verity, which is about two female pilots in World War II, two English female pilots in World War II. Well, one pilot, one spy, who's her friend. And the book is about the pilot crash landing, trying to save her friend who's been captured. So math teaches about secret codes, how to write them, how to solve them, things like that. History can talk about the different aspects of maybe women's roles that have been downplayed throughout the history books. You know, science can talk about all the different instruments and flying without instruments and different aspects of the book that way. So they get to teach something that's not necessarily directly tied to standards, but it's tied to interest and it's engaging and it's tied to what the teacher's interested in talking about and why science is cool, why math is cool. And so they do that for their first two classes when they come back instead of, here are the rules, write your number on your book, let's get busy. And then they don't have to worry about coming back to a zero. English can use a prompt about some piece of the book. What did you think about this, this, or this, or this? Well, there's your writing sample. There's your pre-assessment for what you know that the kids can do and can't do. So we're doing that this year as well. Man, that, that sounds really cool. I love that idea. So there are two great examples of things that anybody can start doing, regardless of grade level or school makeup or anything like that. Those are two things that you can start engaging your kids and your teachers with. I think those are great ideas. The last question that I asked Chris is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? Get into classrooms, give honest, real quick feedback to teachers not in an evaluative way, but really think of some sentence stems about what you're seeing in the classroom so that you can have a conversation with the teacher 
on an honest feedback. Let's see what we're looking at and let's see where we can improve just a little bit or maybe a lot of the teachers willing as many days as possible, as many classrooms as possible. Teachers like to hear about and talk about their craft, just like we do. I mean, you and I are sitting here just, you know, and I'm getting excited talking about different things. We like to talk about these things. And teachers like to know that people see what they do and value what they do. And the way you increase value is to increase skill level. And they can't do that without feedback. So get into those classrooms. Don't make any excuses. Put it in your schedule and get it done. Yeah. Uh, Chris, how do people uh, connect with you and learn more from you? You know, I'm on Twitter a lot. It's uh, at Dr. C.S. Jones. So that's D-R-C-S as in Scott Jones. So at Dr. C.S. Jones, that's probably the easiest way. I'm on Fox for a decent amount too, but I can't, rem- I can't remember my, uh, my, my handle on that. But if you reach out to me on Twitter, I'd gladly share that with you. And um, I have a blog that I need to pay a little more attention to because now I've moved more to weekly videos. So I'm on YouTube and stuff. But if you catch me on Twitter, I put that out there. I put those videos out there and then you can just find my YouTube channel that way. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again so much for being part of Transformative Principle, Chris. Oh, no. Thank you, Jethro. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, having this discussion with me. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.